Welcome everybody to a very special opinion where we're going to be reviewing both nights of NXT TakeOver Stand and Deliver. I am your host today, Scott Massoud, and I'm joined by a man who made his debut in the terms of booking on most recent Mania pod that you may have seen a couple of days ago, and he certainly delivered when he <laughs> debuted with that very Disney-centric Mania that he put together as my good friend and uh, partner and team godfather, Carol Pierce. Hello, yes, it's uh, great to be back to cover in takeover and i hope people enjoyed my uh debut as i popped my fantasy booking cherry on uh booking wrestlemania mm-hmm. of course if it all goes to plan with a uh, scheduling and that this will be going up monday following wrestlemania so you'll know by now listen to this if our mania was any better than the mania that we actually got where at the time we're recording we don't know so we can only assume i mean God, Carr, what a crazy rest. I mean, I mean, who would have thought that Logan Paul would lose the 24-7 title to Hulk Hogan? I know. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. <laughs> who would have thought Brock Lesnar would have come back and won all the titles? <laughs> Surprised he could carry them all. Like, he had to get Sable and he carry the rest of them. <laughs> like, love, you, take the, you take these tag titles. I don't like, care about these. Exactly. Exactly. We will have, obviously, a Mania review coming in the next couple of days. We might do what we did last year and separate Night 1 and Night 2 into two separate reviews, but we figured given that there's five matches each night for NXT, it's easier to do these in two nights. Uh, first of all, before we delve into it, Carl, what did you think of the concept of doing uh, NXT TakeOver across uh, two nights? Because uh, it looks like going forward, uh, WWE probably won't want to do two nights of WrestleMania anymore because... Part of the reason they did it was because of COVID, but the announcements they made for 30, Mania 38 and 39 seem to be going back to a one-night Mania. So there's always a possibility they could continue two nights with NXT. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I'd, I'd be all for it. I think it worked quite well, uh, especially especially like night one, um, because it was also airing on uh, the USA Network, which when they had to keep it to two hours. So nothing felt bloated. I thought everything, everything got... Um, everything got a good amount of time without going overboard which Mm -hmm. uh, was a little bit of a problem for me in night 2 which we'll we'll get to when we uh, start reviewing night 2 I'll I'll explain what I mean Um, but yeah it's a shame Mania can't carry on being two nights but it it might have something to do with booking um booking the stadiums and how much that costs and if they are available for two nights but it, it's it's not as much of a problem for takeovers but wrestlemania especially the last six years or so it's 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 a big slog isn't it i mean what are <laughs> they seven to eight hours long when you include the pre-shows it, it's a long time to to sit and watch a show, isn't it? So, um, I don't know. I'd I think they'd be better keeping it to two nights going forwards, but if that's not what Vince wants or it's not possible, then that's just the way it is. Yeah, I think there's already so much to consume in terms of WrestleMania week when it is just one night with TakeOver that the Hall of Fame Ross match. And if you're going to the area where this may have been hell and you want to go to some of the, the indie shows that run that weekend uh, like without adding like two nights, a second night of Mania and the second night of TakeOver, you know, 
I think most fans I don't know would be able to afford be able to go to all those once they're able to actually go back uh, and have fans again. But I wouldn't. I would be open to a Tenetti, especially if like they were doing a takeover that wasn't like conflicting with any other WWE pay-per-view because they've proven in the past they don't need to run a a takeover the same weekend as a WWE pay-per-view, and so they could easily do that with two nights. And what's interesting uh, with night one is there were times where I was a bit confused with the link I was watching because uh, I think Ledin had to put with the picture-in-picture of the adverts, the, these weird American adverts, and then the NXT action small left-hand part of the screen. But like it was weird because obviously you could watch it on Peacock or on the network, but also it was available on the USA network. So there were points in it where it looked like it was going to commercial and then they were replaying your spot scene before commercial, but I wasn't having a commercial on that when I was watching, so I'm just getting spots repeated to me. Like, in case you missed it, like, I didn't miss it, I was watching it. And so I think maybe it'd be wise to not do it while the same day as you may be airing the TV. I think they decided to, to do it because it was the last Wednesday of NXT being going head-to-head with AEW before they moved to Tuesdays, which apparently NXT did win this week in the final head-to-head, which, given that you're presenting one night of a takeover, if you didn't beat AEW, we'd been seriously concerned for the future of NXT. Yeah, it would have been... Uh... A bit of an embarrassment, to say the least, if they hadn't have won the ratings. Uh, I've seen the ratings, and they weren't quite as high as you would have thought, but you don't know how many people would have watched on different mediums if it was also on the, the network on Peacock and, and whatever. So people might have decided to tune in other ways. And I also noticed when they went when they went to break and came back from a break, you lost sound momentarily, which sort of confused me the first time it happened because I was wondering mm-hmm. what was going on. Yeah, and it was weird with some matches like the opener. You could tell there were some spots that they were doing where things the pace was noticeably slower, and I feel like they were kind of told and given a timer by the ref like when they were going to commercial, and so they basically slowed it down, and literally as soon as they... Like sound went out again, and then they started said they were back. You noticed, especially in the case you did, but done match that as soon as they said they were back from commercial, the pace immediately picked back up again. Yeah, definitely. I think I think the main event was the only one that didn't have uh, adverts, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, Raquel Gonzalez. We you tried to promise they'd be commercial free heading into, which I think is the, the best idea. Honestly, it's your main event. You don't want to disrupt the flow of your main event with adverts, but. I was I was really looking forward to this because uh, uh, takeovers have been good during the pandemic year, but there has been like some quality that you know like the maybe uh, takeover thirty. I like the ladder match and the opener with Fowler and Thatcher, but the rest of it was just okay. Takeover thirty one, people mainly remember that for the main event between O'Reilly and Balor. War Games was good. But I think there have been better war games. Me and Jimmy talked about how yeah, it, was, it was the kind of the more the meh of all the war games so far. But then Vengeance Day like, just knocked out of the park. And then I was hoping with two nights that they could also knock out the park and keep this trend going. Maybe they were getting back to form with NXT. And like I say, the two uh, nights we had pre-show matches on night one, we had Zoe Star versus Tony Storm and a number of contenders match on night two for the kickoff show. Uh, Drake Maverick and Killian Dane taking on Breeze Angle. Uh, I watched both matches. I don't have a whole lot to say about them. Did you watch these matches? Uh, I'll have to confess I couldn't be arsed with the uh, <laughs> pre-show matches, to be honest. Yeah, I remember going in, say, the Zoe Star match, believing like, 
Zoe Stark's not winning here because like she's still fairly new. Uh, she'd lost to the likes of uh, Io and uh, Gonzalez, and now she's facing Zoe Stark, who's going off two field attempts at winning the NXT Women's title. I thought, okay, she's going to do great things in the future, but for now she's kind of in position as a person to lose to uh, established people who kind of need a win right now. And the weekend did this like in-house predictions here at Rogapines, and I think legit everybody picked Tony Storm, and we're all proven uh, wrong on that one. And then, uh, and I do think it was weird uh, the tag match really because they uh, like Reed Angle weirdly worked the de facto heel role in this match, uh, which is weird given that they came out dressed as pirates. <laughs> and uh, Maverick and Dane won. You know they got a good feel good when they're going to face uh, the winners of the triple threat later on. Uh, but we'll get to that when we talk about the triple threat match. But takeover really uh, got started. Before we actually get into the main show, uh, if you are going to watch the show, like what was better than the matches was uh, some of the interviews done by Samoa Joe. You had him interviewing the likes of Io, uh, 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 Raquel Gonzalez. Uh, you had him interviewing the likes of Cross, Balor, you know, O'Reilly, Cole. You know, he was interviewing different people throughout the, the night. And even, like, like when he was interviewing Balor, he basically brought up that going into the takeover, Balor had a, I think it was 14-1 and record at takeover, and that one was from Samoa Joe. So, <laughs> and Joe was quick to bring that up. I can imagine, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also, night when he was uh, interviewing like the Walter and, and Champa, is uh, there was a lot of anticipation going into that match. But night one truly kicked off with uh, Pete Dunne taking on Kushida, and a match was kind of set up based on the fact that both men feel they're the best technical uh, wrestler in the world. Uh, I wonder if like Pete Dunne is going to face Thatcher at some point down the line because uh, he's also got a, kind of a technical wrestling kind of thing as part of his gimmick. Although Thatcher seems wrapped up in a thing with Champa still. Uh, but going into it, as I mentioned there was that noticeable like, like minute or so where they really slowed it in with uh, Dunn working over Kushida. Uh, I think because they had to go to commercial and then immediately the pace picked right back up again when they came back from commercial. And, you know, there was a lot of like going after the fingers anything for both guys. Because obviously Dunn, that's the real thing that he's made a name for. But... Uh, Kushida tried to beat him at his own game. The match went 10 minutes 39. And it was weird because uh, when Dunn hit the better end, I was kind of left with a, huh. Because, like, as a takeover opener, it was shorter than I'd expect it to be. Yeah, um, I found it an enjoyable match, but I was, I was surprised at um, how quick it ended as well. But I didn't, I didn't realise going into it that it was being broadcast on the USA Network and it was only going to have two hours. I didn't, I didn't realise that um, until perhaps the second match when that sort of clicked for me. So I was like, ah, right, so this this is going to be a shorter um, takeover than we're used to then. But uh, it was still a fun match, both, as you say, both men doing uh, their signature moves. I like it when um, Kushida does that hoverboard lock from the top rope. That's always a, a cool move. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was interesting going into this because both guys had lost at the last takeover, so we weren't quite sure who was uh, going to get the win. Uh, I would have probably liked it if they'd been given five more minutes because like, even though like, it was a shorter uh, than we used to because we've still got another night to come and it's on the US anyway, but takeovers having five matches usually means that the matches get to have more time. But yeah, this 
I felt I guess it wasn't that bad match. Just I would have liked to see it go longer, and it makes sense the way he'd done one because he worked over the fingers uh, of Kushida. Kushida managed to hit his right hand, but he then sold it because his fingers were hurting, and then done immediately took advantage of making him look like the smart competitor in that way. So you know, Kushida doesn't look lose anything uh, at a loss because uh, like the last. He's been t- featured in three major takeover matches against Dream, Gargano, and uh, Dunn. I know he's lost two out of the three, but it's better than what he had before because he came in hot, and then there was a big lull in Kishida's run where he just wasn't being featured on takeovers. Yeah, he did get an injury which sidelined him for a bit, which doesn't help. But yeah, uh, you're right. He came in with a lot of fanfare, and he, he hasn't really done a great deal. Uh, I wonder if a good move for him next would be to go after the Cruiserweight Championship. I think he could have some really good matches with um, Escobar. Yeah, I remember uh, at the time of that tournament, Tucker and the interim champion, I was uh, like, I was certain Kushida was going to win, and then they did the whole story with Maverick. And I thought Maverick was going to win it, and then obviously Escobar won it. And I thought at some point, you know, Maverick was going to beat Escobar, and then that just went nowhere. But I'm surprised that, like, Kushida hasn't been more featured in the cruiserweight division. But maybe, like you said, this is the perfect time because I definitely think if he's going to, like, win a title in the near future next, it's probably going to be that one. Yeah, and he needs to do a bit more, which we'll, I'll get on to when we get to um, his match in night two, but I think they need to do a little bit more still with Escobar and the Cruiserweight Championship, and uh, a, a feud with um, Kushida could be just a tonic. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of championships, uh, one thing they're able to do with two nights is like set up a match uh, for night two with the Scotland Eliminator, where you had... Uh, Bronson Reed, Cameron Grimes, Isaiah Swerve, Scott, Ellie Knight, Dexter Loomis, and Leon Rock competing. Uh, there was a 12 man battle roll. These guys were the final six, so they guaranteed their, their placement in the match. And then from there, their order of elimination determined when they would enter the battle royal. Ellie Knight won the battle royal, so he got the right to enter last. Now, I knew they'd done a gauntlet eliminator before. That was the one that Carol O'Reilly won to get his shot initially against Ballard Tigor 31. But I didn't ever get around to watching it, so I assumed that. The gauntlet eliminator was like a regular gauntlet match. I didn't mean I didn't realise that guys came in at like every three minutes and just like it wasn't a case of two guys wrestle, one loses and the next guy comes in. Yeah, well I'm not sure they did it that way for the one kind of Riley one, although it's a bit back now, so I might be misremembering, but I'm pretty sure that was a regular gauntlet match. And I was I wasn't expecting those rules as well, where uh, someone came in every three minutes. So uh, yeah, that was a surprise to me. Yeah, it was the longest match on the show, which I expected with the gauntlet stipulation. I, I did like the way that uh, they did it, but also it took me a second to get used to. Uh, news is that. NXT is filing the trademark for Gauntlet Eliminator, so they want to probably keep this a, a featured gimmick uh, match to have whenever they need a number one contender. And there are other ways they can go that I'm assuming at one point we'll get a, an all-women's Gauntlet Eliminator at some stage. So we started off with Leon Ruff and uh, Isaiah Swerve Scott in the match, and uh, Swerve attacks Leon Ruff before he gets to the ring. And they make a point that Leon Roth, despite being one of the short, smallest guys in the match, he's the only one that actually has won the North American title before. And he's doing fucking parkour around the, the Capitol Wrestling Center, where he gets thrown off the, the stage, but then lands on part of the barricade. He's doing a flip to avoid swerve. 
Uh, Brunton Reed came in third. Uh, Cameron Grimes was fourth. He tried to pay uh, Thrush a to form with the Lions and out came Dexter Lumis uh, fifth. I was so certain he was going to win. Uh, in fact, like, it was weird as like they were beating up uh, Leo Druff as he's coming out and Lizzie cuts to Lumis and then cuts back and you're seeing the three count of Leo Druff getting eliminated. So you kind of miss how he got uh, put out of the match and then LA Knight comes out last, cutting a promo on everybody, and I was certain that was going to lead to everybody immediately hits the finishers on him and he's eliminated, and he like, <laughs> eats these words. Yeah, and that's what more or less happened to him as well, didn't he? He did, he did pin um, Loomis, didn't he? Loomis had his um, finisher uh, submission, I forget what he calls it now, on Cameron Grimes, and uh, LA Knight was able to roll him up to get a free count. And um, so soon after that, yeah, he was hit by a, if not finishes, so the sort of certainly that secondary move maneuvers, and was quickly taken out of the match. He wasn't in it long, was he? About five minutes or so, perhaps. Yeah, pretty much because uh, he gets thrown in. He does get a chance to mix up with pretty much everybody in the match before it runs out. Loomis, Loomis does a walk in the silence that he calls it on. Uh, That's it. On uh, Karen Greens, and then yeah, it was a unique way to eliminate where he did the roll through uh, pin in Dexter Loomis. And I was like shocked because I think quite a few people going into it thought Loomis was going to win because he's had a thing with the way and he's had like, issues with like, uh, Joy Gargano. He did the whole thing where he kidnapped Austin Theory. I mean, Jimmy talked about the whole therapy session that the way took uh, Austin Theory to when they got him back. and Indy Hartwell's got this whole thing where she's in love with them. <laughs> like he'd play a role in this, either that or the women's tie title match or like the North American title match, like the next night across Gargano against whoever actually won the Gauntlet Eliminator. But no, like, it felt set up a takeover and to like continue the storyline because it's been a major feature on TV. And then just like, is it, oh no, just give the matches as they are and just like forget it. So, because like they do mention what Loomis has been doing when he came out. But now, like, Bronson Reed was feeding with LA Knight and Loomis was feeding with Gargano. Now, similarly, they swapped that about where they had Reed go over to fight Gargano and now suddenly uh, Loomis locked in the silence on LA Knight as soon as he's eliminated, so implying they were going to have a feud. Yeah, it does look like does look that way, as you say. Um, I, I was torn between um, Bronson Reed and Dexter Loomis going in, and we do our rogue opinions predictions, and I ended up uh, plumping for Bronson Reed, luckily for me, uh, just because he got that big win over LA Knight um, on that XTV not so long ago. And it's a sneaking suspicion he was in for a bit of a posh. And, uh, yeah, I was proven right. And I, th- I thought this was a really fun match. I loved I love the way it was laid out. Um, I like some of the exchanges between Leon Roth and Swift Scott. Swift Scott really impressed me in this match. I've, mm. I've been a bit sort of iffy with him, but since his heel turn, he, he seems to have stepped up a bit. And um, I loved his final exchanges with Bronson Reed because uh, I was really, I really started to doubt that my pick was going to win at, at points in that match, especially when he hit his. Um, off the top rope sort of mean salt thing. I was like, oh god, he's mm-hmm. gonna pin him. <laughs> yeah, I've really been a fan of Swerve since he came in. He, he got that title shot against Santos Escobar, and then after that, they didn't really do much. And then they started to transition to him being a, a heel, which he does seem to suit. 
And maybe like if Kushida wins the cruiserweight title, then he can then start mixing it up in the division again with Kushida. But yeah, I like the closing sequence. Uh, Grimes, uh, his whole thing trying to pay off Swerve backfires when Swerve eliminates him, which leads to the closing sequence between Bronson Reed and uh, Swerve Scott. Bronson Reed wins with his big splash off at the top. The uh, tsunami then does kind of a stare down with Gargano post match. He's on a ramp pulling up his North American title. Well, I liked about this match, and I was like, because uh, the North American title has also been a good addition to give like new guys like opportunities who can obviously be positioned in a way to go after the world title. Uh, all like all these guys, and like you talk about that NXTs, they seem to be just signing everybody at the minute. Uh, you got four of these six guys were like signed as part of that breakout tournament where you had, I think, back in the breakout tournament, Swerve took on Grimes in the first round, and Loomis took on Bronson Reed. Ellen Knight, you got the newest thingy, and then Leon Ruff, he's only been around a while, but he's already had a reign as North American champion. He's got the speed with Swerve and everything. So it just goes to show how much they're, they're utilizing some of the undercard talent and like not everybody that they... I know they've got a lot of guys to use, uh, like a lot of indie guys that they sign, but it shows that with ways like this how NXT books kind of the stacked roster they've got themselves. Yeah, definitely. And uh, they're really coming into their own as well now, the likes of um, Swerve Scott and Bronson Reed. Uh, I'm quite digging Bronson Reed at the moment. I think he's uh, a really good wrestler. And I, I think he's got a good finisher as well. I mean, a bloke that big, splash off the top rope, it's definitely going to put you away, that, that <laughs> manoeuvre. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we're going into the next match. Uh, it's the one that a lot of people thought was going to not only be a match of the night, but just match of the week overall. Which is uh, Walter defending his NXT UK title against Tommaso Ciampa, which is all born out of uh, Thatcher uh, teaming with Kurt with Ciampa and Imperium trying to lure Thatcher back to their side. And uh, I believe there was top rumours of a COVID outbreak around about NXT and Thatcher may be one of the people having to isolate, which is why he didn't end up playing a factor really in this. I think is why the the focus switched to like Champa trying to find like you know the old Champa or to take out Walter and feeling disrespected by him, and uh, I really really enjoyed this. You know that I didn't realize that because I'd seen Champa wearing like long like trunks, but I didn't realize it's the first time he'd worn like proper trunks in some time. So I think this is part of his trying to find himself again. And then it's like kind of with Pete Dunne and Kushida working over each other, and they did it again here where. Uh, Chamba tried to get the right hand of Walter because that was the main hand he used his chops with and he said oh, he gets chops in with the left hand but they don't have the same impact as with the, the right hand and like Walter does a lot of moves like towards the next opponents like he has that super subic or that big boot across the top rope and it makes you want even more of Champa when they emphasise in the video package his history with like having neck surgery Yeah that was good they really sort of um Played on uh, his uh, sort of neck surgery history, and Walter did target him with, um, as you say, manoeuvres. And uh, even if his chops are a bit weaker with his other hand, you still there's still no amount of money you could pay me to uh, <laughs> make, make me want to take one. Jesus Christ! And um, thinky uh, Champa wasn't holding back either because. Walter's uh, chest was so red, wasn't it? Jesus, mm. I know he's quite. I know he's quite not quite as white as Seamus, but he he is quite <laughs> white. So it it is more emphasised 
I mean, us uh, Europeans who don't see too much of the sun like uh, Americans or don't cover ourselves with fake tan like your Pete Duns. Uh, it really <laughs> just show, it really just show um, the marks from chops and punches and and what have you. But yeah, he also um, shaved his head for the first time as well, hasn't he, champ? And got rid of the, whatever it was called in the granddad hair. I think you look. I think you got better for it as well. With the back in the trunks and with the the shaved head, he he looked he looked the pass again. And this was, I was gonna say, this is probably my favourite match of uh, the the whole takeover. I would say, like like his hair was starting to grow in a little bit, like the back was coming on on top, and it was kind of coming quite grey, similar to his beard. Like you may thought people like be like he's only thirty five as Champa, but he's be called old man Champa, but. He said he shave it, which I think, like you said, is better for. It didn't help that uh, they'd already advertised uh, Walter versus Rampage Brown the following night as a, on a special episode of the UK for the title. Uh, so it didn't really help the outcome, even though I, I was still, it would take a lot for me to think that Champa would win the, the UK title. And uh, the finish game came out of nowhere with uh, Walter eventually got a, a chop with the right hand after, like, throwing everything at Chamba and the power bomb, he kicks out. It looks like Chamba's about to start another, yeah, another comeback, but he gets just immediately just doomed with the, the right hand with the chop, and then that's enough. And it's weird because, like, Walter's matches can end out of nowhere because he remembers his 40 minute classic with Tyler Bate that ended with just a simple lariat, but, like, after 40 or so minutes of, like, physically exerting yourself against a much larger guy and just coming at you with that clothesline. That's gonna that'll probably keep you down, but uh, it made sense for Walter to keep the title seven hundred odd days, no two he's been for two years. Of it. And they said that I think since the eighties nobody's held that title for more than two years in the WWE. And uh, he beat Rampage Brown as well, which shocked me. I thought Rampage was gonna beat him. So it looks like Walter's keeping that title forever, or at least until maybe the plan is they want fans to be there when Walter loses the title. It might be, yeah. I mean, I was wondering if Rampage might have beaten him, but doesn't look like it. Whether they'll try and go back to Balor versus Walter, um, if he'd get round to doing was it take over Dublin they were going to do? Yeah, they were mm. going to do Dublin. It was maybe May or April uh, last year. Mm. They, they'd already started planting seeds for Balor, was showing up on episodes of NXT UK and stuff like that. I think at least he was going to. I think there was a plan he was going to fight at Dublin Devlin first and then go into Walter because I think Walter was rumoured to fight uh, Dragunov in Dublin which is why they ended up having that match and I beat to do that one where they all absolutely fucking killed each other uh, but I wouldn't mind seeing Balor if it's not Balor I think maybe they'll keep the story going and lead to Thatcher versus Walter and Thatcher definitely says I'm not joining you and then he wins the title because I know he's American but he did make his Make himself a regular in places like Progress in the UK, so I think people would uh, would be against him as an American being the UK champion. Yeah, that that would be some match, Walter versus um, Thatcher. Uh, I'd definitely um, look into look forward to that if that that did happen. And yeah, he, he may be the one to take it off him, or they might just get going with Walter. I mean, Kaylee Ray's in a similar place as uh, NXT UK Women's Champion. She's held it for a, a massive amount of time now as well and I was convinced they were going to have Satamora go over on her but mm. she even beat her so it'll be interesting who 
who defeats um, either of the UK champions. Yeah, because like her, all the UK champions, like they rarely have like short reigns in X UK, with the exception of like uh, like like uh, Tyler Bates reign as the inaugural champion, or, like Andrews and Webster as tag champs. Everybody else seems to get a decent length reign. Obviously, the it's not held. Obviously, the, the pandemic been on. But yeah, she's all coming up on six hundred days. I think they're doing this whole spooky thing with Isla Dawn. So I think they're trying to set up party win it. Uh, and obviously, Gallus lost the titles to fucking pretty deadly. Uh, and I remember they lost the titles around at the same time Drew lost the uh, the WWE title. And I thought to myself, like, does Vince suddenly decide I've got too many Scottish people holding titles at the minute? <laughs> <laughs> you never know with Vince. He does have these funny ideas, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, but I uh, I actually thought this next match was uh, my favorite match of night one. We had the triple threat match for the vacant NXT tag team titles. We had MSK, Wesley, and Nash Carter taking on the grizzled young veterans and taking on Legado del Fantasma. I think a lot of people did overlook Fantasma going into this, but they had a hell of a showing fucking some of Mendoza's facial expressions or just something else. And I think uh, initially had Danny Burch not injured, the, pra- the plan probably would have been uh, MSK to beat Lorcan and Burch here and then go into a feud with grizzled young vets down the line to you know, reunite that feud. But you know, I remember going into this, like I did pick MSK, but I was so nervous because like I thought they were going to switch around the plans and just have grizzled young vets win and change it to basically MSK chase them the titles so you know it could have went either way but I think that everybody knew uh, Mendoza and Wells probably weren't going to win yeah I was just like yourself I was in two minds I, I was thinking it's either going to go MSK the feel good factor or um, yeah have them narrowly defeated um, by the Grizzles Young Veterans and have them chasing them for the titles for a bit either would I think either would have worked as well to be honest both both are reasonably fresh in um, American NXT. So I think Eva would have had uh, a good run with the belts. But yeah, mm-hmm. my pick was MSK as well. So I was glad when they won. And surprisingly, they pinned... Um, was it Zach Gibson they pinned? I know it was one of the... Yeah. Um, I thought I thought um, Mendoza or... Um, oh, what's his name? It's gone. Yeah, um, I thought one of those two would have taken the pin personally, but no, surprised again. Uh, it was the Grizzly Young Veterans who took the pin, so fair play. But yeah, it was what you'd expect, lots of fast-paced action and um, some really good manoeuvres. I don't think Grizzly Young Veterans had it at one stage as well, but um, no, there was a kick out. And he did the whole, uh, he was about to tap out, but his partner caught his hand to stop him from tapping out, which is it's getting a little bit overplayed in NXT mm-hmm. for me, that one. Yeah, it's a little bit. Uh, given that, let's say, night two, pretty sure you had Kelly and Dean and Maverick and you had, like, the breeze angle there. I, thought, I remember going into this wondering why of all teams like I'll do Fantasma were chosen uh, unless they were going to take the pin. Yeah, and then Gibson gets pinned because, like, you know, I uh, assume that Grizzly Young Vets were going to be like future challengers for these belts against MSK, and now they've beaten them both here and in the Dusty Classics. So I thought maybe they'll hold off on them getting pinned again by having like Al Fantasma get pinned. But I was very nervous, like when they were doing the spot, because even when like he grabbed, uh, when Carter grabbed Lee's hand, 
Yeah, they still managed to pull him away, and it looked like Lee was still going to have. And then he had uh, just from all screen windows, I think it was, hitting a drop kick on a on a Gibson to take him out. And then they they gave you that like, weird thing, like, God, is, are we all going to be wrong? Are they going to win this? And then they didn't. And then basically they both got taken out with Drake uh, doing this during that running thing where they do the version of the Doomsday device off the shoulders on the outside. They did that. They wailed off the ramp to the outside. And then on the other side, the Mendoza, the MSK had a, basically a knee-burning hammer combination, which basically took that team out of the match. And then they had the whole stare-off. It's just back down to these two teams again. Also, like that move with the uh, suicide dive into the Doomsday device that the Grizzly Young Vets do. I like that MSK learned from it, from the Dusty Classic, because they went to do it on, I think it was Lee, and then Carter, as uh, Gibbs, as that's why Drake was a bit elite. He just runs and knees him in the face to uh, break up the move, which is nice to see. And like this, this tag match and the tag match from uh, the men's Dusty Classic final is the main reason why takeovers have suddenly taken a step up. Because every takeover in the past, or like or every great takeover, had a great like tag match on it, usually the opener. And during the pandemic, there was a real lull in terms of tag wrestling because it was rare that the tag chants were even featured on Takeover All for a wee while. Yeah, they've been struggling with uh, the tag division for a while since they lost um, the Street Profits and um, War Machine. Well, not War Machine, are they? The Viking Raiders, whatever you want to call them. Uh, yeah, so they had a, they did have a big lull in the tag division, but it seems to be getting filled up again. And all all three look um, really good. And um, I wouldn't be against seeing El Fantasmo against MSK. Uh, you know, in the future, and also a, a rerun of the Grizzled Young Vets as well, and may, maybe Birch and Lorkin, depending on how long Birch is going to be out for, and possibly Imperium. Yeah, because like you know, I, I wouldn't be actually thought it would be cool if they didn't do the Kushida match. If you slid like Dunn and Lorkin in there as a team uh, to take the place in the trouble fight, like in a. Uh, Bobby Fish got injured in New Orleans and Adam Cole had to team with Kyle O'Reilly uh, despite also having to have, compete in a ladder match on the same night. Uh, but then uh, you've also got uh, Killian Day and Drake Mavic who've got the title shot now. So I'm hoping with MSK kind of being at the top of the division that helped like, give a second life to the division now and we'll start seeing great takeover tag matches again. A lot of people are surprised the way these guys have come in and quickly won the titles. Well, I think like they were probably made promises with this push, and obviously they thought, well, we're going to win the titles anyway, so we might as well just like stay the course with these guys. And it does make sense, like the way they've been booked so far, why they probably chose to leave Impact the way they did, because they talked about having families to support. And it seemed like as much as as popular as they were at Impact, Impact never seemed to want to put the tag titles on them for whatever reason. So it's just as well they came over here. You know, they've gotten this decent push, and you know. Like Fortick is like, yeah, your last few teams, you're talking in Burch, Imperium, and Breeze Angle, all great teams I'd like to see as tag champs. Never got really a, a tag title defence and a takeover. You had Breeze Angle earning a title shot on a pre show match to take over 30, and you had Lorcan and Burch appearing as tag champs on the losing end of war games. And that's pretty much been it uh, since Portland. Because like Portland was the last great tag match before Vengeance. There we had uh, the Bruiser weights beating. Yeah, I believe it was fishing O'Reilly of Undisputed Era, so you know it's that kind of quality we're wanting to get back to. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think not just 
promising them SKA are pushing the title shot. I think they needed to put the belts on either them or the Grizzled Young Vets. They needed to give the tag division a boost in the arm. And MSK are young, they're exciting, they're fresh to NXT. So I think it was the right decision. I never... I never saw them in impact personally, but I only heard good things. So I was always looking forward to seeing them come in action. And I think their booking's been spot on winning the Dusty Classic and now the tag team titles. Uh, but yeah, so I think they've been used very well. I think so too. But now we're going to night one main event. Uh, Raquel Gonzalez taking on Io Shirai. I was really looking forward to this when I heard this was the main event. Cause it's amazing how, like I mentioned, Portland, how since there it's just been over a year and she's gone from being like the silent muscle for Dakota Kai, uh, who seemed like she was inevitably going to win the title, to now being a star in her own right, almost overshadowing uh, uh, Dakota. And like, you know, the comparisons to Sean Dees are just plentiful, not just in the case of like smaller wrestler, like bigger bodyguard, but just the way the bodyguard is overshadowed person that they're there to protect and you look at it Io Shirai or she turned into this new version of herself I was thinking the other day through frustration of not winning the title and then she wins the title she sells it for over 300 days beating the likes of Tegan Knox, Charlotte Flair, Rhea Ripley, Dakota, Tony Storm, Mercedes Martinez and a lot of people were wondering like oh Io can't lose if she's made the challenge to, to uh, Raquel because like Raquel pinned her in war games and I think, in hindsight, it's smart the way they did it because we thought, oh, well, she's going to be the next challenger. And then she wasn't. She They kind of held on to it and like, let Raquel beat Rhea Ripley, basically sent her out of NXT, let her and uh, Dakota win the Women's Tag Classic, where basically the final was all set around her being unsolved and not being able to kept down. Yeah, they had that hiccup with like uh, Shane and Nia and then losing the titles the same night. But yeah, and I think the case of this is maybe that you want to prove she's a great NXT Women's Champion and thinking, I can't have somebody like you who's gotten one over on me. And then ultimately, as we get into the match, it kind of backfires on her once again. Yeah, I think it's been brilliant long-term booking with um, Raquel Gonzalez. Um, nice, slow and steady putting her with um, Dakota Kai. Was brilliant, you know, because she's got the experience. She's been in NXT a fair few years now, and you, you've seen Raquel Gonzalez growing confidence and stature as a uh, push has gone on throughout throughout probably about a year or so now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think she's done really well. I think she's come along really well. I think she deserves this push and this and this match. And yeah. It was always like a, a prelude of things to come when she pinned um, Io Shirai in that War Games match, as you said. And I can't, you know, you can't escape the the similarities and the parallels of Diesel's push when he first came into WWF as Shawn Michaels' bodyguard back in late ninety, well, nineteen ninety three. It would have been. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And um, she rolled held her own. I mean, NXT continued the idea of not having real shenanigans. And just having the matches as they are when uh, Dakota blatantly got caught cheating on uh, Raquel's behalf and then got sent to the back so Raquel had to win it on her own. Uh, she was a hell of a power, but Io did manage to like, keep a step ahead of her as the champion. They ended up rolling up the ramp there if you didn't want to count them out because it's the main event to take over night one. And then they do a spot where Io disappears and then reappears on top of this, this giant skull that we forgot to mention that they've got as part of the set. 
which I do love because like part of the guy's logo is the part of the like Titantron appears in the eyes. Of yeah, the that was, that was so great. And yeah, that's brilliant. I loved that. He just appears at the top of the skull and just dives on top of Rick uh, Gonzalez. So, you know, that plus the uh, the whole thing with her putting the bin on herself at War Games, you could tell that Yushirai is not afraid of anything. No, she's uh, she's crazy. And uh, I think Barrett over-exaggerated the height of the, uh, the skull. It's not 20 feet, probably 10 or 12 I would say it's a and I guess but it's still a fair height. You wouldn't you wouldn't get me jumping off it onto steel onto a steel grating. <laughs> yeah, uh, they do make us the way back to the ring. It's, it's, it looks up here. It says uh, twelve minutes. This went, uh, which is shorter than I thought it went. I thought they did a lot in that twelve minutes. The tag match went uh, fifteen minutes, but it was really good. They went back. They did the moonsault. Uh, but Raquel kicked out and they said that no one had kicked out of it and like you know me like, being a fan I'm almost usually cynical like, when they say oh, nobody kicked out of a move unless they buy on about it like Buddy Kyle Omega's one winged angel but now I think of it I couldn't really think of anybody who would have kicked out of it so if that is true then fair play again another like showing of how much they're really behind Raquel and then Raquel lets her one-hand powerbomb on the outside rolls Eo back in and fight Eo's best efforts to fight back she gets hit with it again in the inside of the ring. Raquel Gonzalez wins the title. And I think a lot of people immediately are like, okay, how long before she and Dakota are fighting over that title? And I do think it's a matter of time. I think those hiccups with the tie titles, uh, I think are, they're going to purposely use those as fuel for when they're inevitably break up for one of them also blaming the other for their failures in the past and how they, they were the one carrying the team. Yeah, definitely. Could definitely go down that route. I thought this was a great match. But probably my second favourite match of the whole two nights of TakeOver after Champa and uh, Volta. Uh, yeah, I loved it. I, I, I thought I really bit for the pin as well when Neo um, did, her, did her move. Because you're right, I don't believe anyone has kicked out of it in NXT. And especially following up from the dive from the skull. When she did the moonsault, I thought, Christ, Dio is going to win. But no, Raquel powered out. And that was pretty much the story of the match. Dio uh, was throwing everything at this uh, monster of a woman. And just whatever she did, she just couldn't put her away. And um, yeah, that one-arm powerbomb looks so good. And her clotheslines are badass as well. They always look really stiff, I think. Um, she really does throw a good clothesline. Mm-hmm. I also thought it was interesting that they didn't bring Dakota back out for the celebration. The celebration was all focused on Raquel. She's standing on the ramp with the steam and the this, uh, pyro going off behind her. She goes out uh, night one and then they show her in the crowd night two with the title. No Dakota by her side again. So... Uh, you know, I wonder if she's obviously the big push for her step to continue and I definitely think it was a wise idea for the women's step to get to close out uh, night one apparently it's the first time the women's step close to take over since uh, Sasha Bailey at respect and you know it's nice to see it getting that, that spot again and you know we didn't get much chance to rest going to night two because I assume night two would maybe start with the tie title match but instead it started off with the, the ladder match to crowd the undisputed uh, cruiserweight champion Jordan Devlin taking on Santos Escobar. And, you know, again, that's much like the water match. A lot of people thought it would be match tonight and potentially match the weekend. 
Yeah, I thought it would probably kick off with um, the tag match as well, but no, it was the ladder match. I also want to quickly mention Poppy as well. I love the fact she did a bit of a cover of Adamant Stand and Deliver because we're all on Twitter and the forum saying if we don't play this Stand and Deliver song by Adamant, then what are we even doing here? But Triple H gets it and uh, they... They found the you know, they got Poppy to do a cover of the song, which I thought worked really well before going into one of her, her own songs. And she always seems happy to be there, Poppy. More, you know, not just there to pick up a paycheck. She uh, she seems I don't know if she's a wrestling fan, but she always seems genuinely up for being there, which is nice to see. I mean, if she's not an, if she's not a, a fan, then she's certainly just up for a lot because I think they were listening a, a Poppy like takeover like T-shirt. As well, they were advertising it during night two, and I think it was weird that Wednesday night one they brought out uh, Nina Strauss, uh, I believe we call her, or Nia Strauss, I can't remember. Nikita Strauss, Nikita Strauss. Yeah, yeah. she's the guitarist for like Alice Cooper's band, she, they used her for like Nakamura's entrance to me, I said, for, and it's here, and then it was here, like, oh, she's an Alice Cooper's band, and then she's there with the guitar playing the national anthem, which is a real tonal shift, and then. You see those big voices with the big skulls everywhere. And now, stand and deliver in my one. <laughs> yeah, I, f- I thought that was awesome as well, actually. Yeah, the uh, playing the national anthem uh, on the guitar, shades of uh, Jimi Hendrix way back in the day. Well, the, uh, the NAC Cruiser, which say, oh, I think it was a smart idea for, uh, I think, any time those two guys claiming to be the champion, people will make the comparisons to Razor and Sean. And so I thought, let's just go all the way with it. And, you know, have and let's have the the ladder match and given it to cruiserweight wrestlers, you know it can be uh, like they can pull out some great stuff. And I think they were very like inventive in terms of spots. They like the spot the ladder being set up by Escobar on the outside, like standing up, and then he used that to wait as soon as I did that not Devlin back into the ladder. But I I assumed that they Devlin would move and Santos would go into the ladder himself because you know that all that is, you know he who sets up ends up suffering it. And like, I think I mentioned before how they on night one a lot of them they wanted matches to be done cleanly. Like that's why I made it stand out when Escobar's uh, guys gave it Wild and Mendoza to briefly interfere, but Devon still fought back. Uh, but they got involved, and it was really the only time across both nights you got really got to see like any interference or any like cheating in terms of in terms of a heel getting somebody to help them. Yeah, it was nice to see um, the the finishes were clean and there wasn't much outside interference. And even when um, Mendoza and Wild did come out to help him, he quickly sent them back to the locker room and that was all the interference they did. So uh, it was quite nice. Yeah, uh, as you say, some, some good spots. Um, I'm not that key, you know, I'm not that big on either wrestle, although I've you know, I've got a lot of respect for them, but I'm not a massive fan of either. So, and I wasn't really sure who was the heel and who was the baby face. I find it a little bit hard to mm-hmm. to get into as much as some of the other matches on the card. But it was it was still enjoyable, and I enjoyed like the uh, the Spanish fly spot um, off the ladder as well. That was a that was a cool little spot. Yeah, uh, Devlin did keep trying to set up the Devlin side the like lift up into the side uh, side of suplex. I thought he was going to end up doing that onto that ladder that was set up in the corner. But instead, it was Devlin getting knocked off the ladder by Escobar at the finish to go through it. 
which initially kept them down. Yeah, I felt like because like Escobar's guys getting involved made uh, Devlin feel like the face. But then again, Devlin's the one being complaining and whining that I'm the true champion. I'm screwed. You're not a real champion. And again, that's what the heel does. Because like in the Sean Razor thing, like Sean was the heel because he claimed he was the real champion. Whereas Razor's like, "Oh, you weren't here, and I got the opportunity, and I won the title, and I'll prove that I'm the real like champion." So like. It was because like Dylan had been defending it on XUK in some good matches against Ben Carter and A Kid. So I actually thought he was going to win here. Uh, I was shocked that he didn't. I think they've they were so impressed with what Santos Escobar has done as cruiserweight champion. And the, the meantime, you know, he's defended against Swerve Scott the first time the title was been defended on a takeover was against Swerve at Takeover Thirty One. He defended against the Grand Metal League a decent match at uh, New Year's Evil. And then he did that random thing with Karrion Cross. So I guess they, they see big things in him. Maybe they want Devlin to go back to NXT UK, maybe he'll get another shot at Walter because he and Walter have history of going back to OTT uh, and their matches. So who knows what's happening, but I do like, I would like to see Kushida, as we mentioned earlier, get uh, a shot at the title. And like, it was weird because they made a big deal of TakeOver 31 of the title being on a uh, takeover for the first time. And then they gave it another two takeovers in between before we got another defense on takeover. Because like it'd be like it's gonna be weird now with title matches and a takeover because it used to be we had four, so we'd have four title matches and one singles, or before the North American three title matches and two singles. But now we've got uh, six titles under the NXT banner on the US one, so that's gonna be weird how they structure takeovers, which makes me think if they should do more two night takeovers. Yeah, no, that's a fair point, actually. I forgot there was now so many titles. Now they made the uh, Cruiserweight and NXT title. And I hope they do a bit more with him now. I think he needs to be on uh, takeovers more consistent to make the title feel important. And I have a feeling they've wanted to do this match since they uh, sort of created this, the second um, Cruiserweight title because... Devlin was stuck in the UK because of the pandemic. So um, I think that was always the plan to have them to fight over who was the true champion. So perhaps they've been holding off a little bit so they could get that match done and out of the way. And now they have. Hopefully they'll do a bit more with um, Santos Escobar and they'll have a few more title defences. Essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I know Devlin's had some accusations on his way. Uh, recent, uh, last year or so the speaking out movement because like, there was a point where Santos Escobar suddenly went from just being interim champion to being cruiserweight champion but then, like, it felt like they were just ignoring Devlin and then he came back and every time he appeared in the UK he had that title and he was declaring himself the tight the champion and so there was a weird shift there maybe like I know they've let go of some people and some people they keep around and I'm not here to get into all that so it felt like nothing was going to really come of it with Devlin on TV, which is why I thought he was going to continue as champion because they clearly did that big plan for him when he won the title. I thought it was a good idea to have the title on someone like him initially because they helped bridge that gap between NXT, US, and the UK. So, you know, they're still saying they've still got some great cruiserweight wrestlers on NXT UK like uh, Mark Andrews or a, a A-Kid. We move into talk about another, uh, another title, the, the NXT Women's Tag Titles. Uh, the way and the hot world cancel rate taking on the team that I believe should be called Total Eclipse of Blackheart. Uh, <laughs> That's and, brilliant. 
you need to pitch that. That is absolute genius. <laughs> you know, Bonnie Tyler doing their entrance music, you know, uh, or, or at least call that, make, have a double team finisher and call that to look at the back at Light Blackheart holds them as she goes to the eclipse. I don't know. But as much as I like the, the idea of these titles coming in, and I get why this was the uh, the matchup because, like, uh, other than Shotzi and Ember, who were kind of going together shortly before you know, were War Games and then going into the Dusty Women's Dusty Classic, the other two most established teams are Raquel and Dakota, but Raquel's already got her own business with the NXT title, and uh, the way Indy Hartwell and Candice LeRae. So it makes sense this was the, the first, like, defense on a takeover. It went about 10 minutes. Shotzi got isolated a lot here before the eventual comeback. They did that double. Uh, Eclipse, followed by the centaur by Shotzi for the win. It, it did feel like, in a way, that this was done just so they could say the NXT, like the, these new titles, got a takeover defense. Yeah, that, I'm, I'm mixed with the idea of the NXT women's tag team titles. I kind of wish they'd have just let someone on NXT win the uh, women's tag titles that Nia and Shane have got and given them a run for a bit and um, you could have had them defending them across all three brands but they've they've never really hopped over to take over that much the, t- the tag titles so I can I can see why they decided to create their own and they do have a lot of women and it might be a good idea and a good way to, to break new signings in as well you can pair someone up with a more experienced wrestler as you ease them into TV and, and whatnot, perhaps. So it'll be interesting to see what other teams form going forward and who else they defend against. But well, did you have a mild heart attack when Shotzi did that suicide dive and he didn't catch her and she just smacked into the barricade? Because I did. I was like, Christ, she's a tough, she's a tough lady. I know. Uh, listen, uh, they have kind of done that idea of a uh, established wrestler and a kind of less experience because, like, that Aaliyah who's been be in the pro her and certain since like 2015, she's not the best in ring, but she teamed with Mercedes Martinez recently to unsuccessfully challenge for the title. So they can, like, do more. I think NXT recently uh, said that uh, they just announced the biggest class of, like, women, like, in the performance and they now they had a full class of just women. Now that they've got that many, like, like female under their like under their banner, so their their division's always been growing. You know, they've a lot of the credit for the women's evolution that they've talked about goes to NXT. They talked about the four horsewomen a lot, so it makes sense that they have tight titles. I would have liked to have seen, yeah, maybe just put the 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 WWE ones off in NXT and put them in NXT. I did see a uh, rumor that these NXT titles were meant to go to the winner of the Women's Dusty Cup, but they weren't ready in time which is why they had that match with Nia and Shayna, which was abysmal, to be fair. Uh, me and Jimmy really shit on that one. And, you know, I, 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 I'm hopeful, but yeah, I think it's just a case of, like, they've already defended them twice since they won them, so I do worry they're going to run out of challenges, you know. But you do have that Ty and Shah and Zia Lee set up as big threats at some point. Yeah, you've got... Uh, Casey Constantino and and her partner, who's again me and names. I've I've forgotten her partner's name. Yeah, uh, Caden Carter. Caden Carter. That's it. When uh, 
Which one is, which one's injured? Is it Casey that's injured at the moment? Yeah, Casey, yeah. Yeah, so when she's back, I mean, they've been a tag team for a while, so uh, that'll be a fun match when uh, they when they come back. So, yeah, and there's Lou's waiting in the wings. So oh, I think they should be okay. And I just want to mention while we're still on the women, I forgot to bring it up before. I think he has had the third longest single reign as mm-hmm. uh, NXT Women's Champion 300 days, just behind Shayna and Asuka. So, fair achievement. Yeah. Sheena, obviously, her second reign was much longer because uh, her first reign went from New Orleans Mania weekend to SummerSlam weekend. Of Brooklyn That's Sport, it. And then she went for well a year and three or four months with her second reign. Well, well over a year with her second reign. So, yeah. And then obviously, Asuka was 500 plus days in our middle of our undefeated run. Oh, I do believe Shane, if you double check it, probably has the most combined days across both their reigns. Yeah, I was going to say, combined, Shane has the longest reign, but as one single reign, it's it is Asuka. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think it'll be a while before that record is uh, is ever broken. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and like, it is interesting, like, her reign and like the CM Punk train, like, where Cena's really long, he's back in like 06, 07, they were all listed, and like, Brock Lesnar's like, Mammoth reign of the Universal title from like 2007 to 2018, all being listed as reigns that were now shorter than Walter's current reign. So, those are if you're into your wrestling stats, there's one for you. But the next match we, we get to talk about here is as a result of the match from the night before, we have Johnny Gargano taking on Bronson Reed. And I was, I was certain that Johnny Gargano was going to lose either way because he's had a couple of successful defenses, especially on a takeover where he beat Kushida. At the last one, and like the whole thing of he's now broken this curse of not having long title reigns. But I feel like they were, this is a bit away of them just pushing Bronson Reed heavily and having him go after the title. Uh, and I think they really structured this match well because Fate being the bigger guy, he gets sent into the uh, in the corner of the announce table and Johnny immediately capitalizes and goes after the ribs and just works it over a beat, like constantly kneeing him in the ribs. And every time Bronson wants to do it by his parents, he just aggravates that injury. And so it was a good way of making him the underdog despite being the much larger, more powerful wrestler in the match. Yeah, and you also had the commentators hammering home that he'd already wrestled uh, a very long gauntlet match the night before as well, just to, to put it over how um, tough it was going to be for Brunson Reed. And uh, I also loved Jenny Gargana's Iron Man-inspired mm-hmm. gear, even though it was in the Waze colours. And um, Austin Theory interfered a few times as well. So the odds were really stacked against Bronson Reed in this when you put everything together. And uh, he went went for his finishing move, I think, twice, but uh, never got to hit it. So that Mm -hmm. sort of protect. So at least his move was protected as well. I think one... One time, Austin Fairy stopped him from doing it, and then Gargano crutched him on the ropes. But yeah, I think this is a really good match. I've been impressed with Bronson Reed lately. I, I can see him winning that championship eventually. What mm-hmm. do you reckon? What do you think about him? I, I really like him. I remember when he he did. I remember his first big opportunity. I take over was take over there in the ladder match the Damon Priest when he had the Bam Bam Bigelow inspired year. And yeah, I love that. Because uh, I've mentioned before in Peter's podcast here and on my podcast, got on both for Alan podcast, that I believe Bam Bam Bigelow is one of the most like underrated big men of all time. I even like I think even on our 
King of the Ring, like watch along. I, we we saw Bam Bigelow, and I was saying through his match that I think Bam Bigelow is way better than Vader ever was. So he's a lot more agile, I think, and like front three pulling out moves, like and trying to go for him. And so it does also kind of like you think like the OCC takes up quite a while because he's injured, and they think the fact that he keeps going for it, you know, it does kind of make it feel like he made a mistake. Maybe that you can play that as an experience compared to to Gargano on these like big match situations and. Johnny continues his record of the most takeovers, but now he's finally getting wins because he has a long streak of losses before this. He is kind of like Shawn Michaels, and that Shawn Michaels is called Wrestle, Mr. WrestleMania, yet I think he has the second most losses in Mania straight after Triple H. Or eh, somewhere. So I really like uh, Bronson Reed. I really think he could be the champion at one point. Maybe they are going to do the Loomis thing down the lane, and they're just like holding off, or maybe... So I was just going to really going to go on a really really long reign with this title, but I thought the match was really well structured because I did feel bad for the woman having to follow the ladder match, and rather than just kicking off the show, I think the ladder match they wanted to open it so they could book in night two with two big gimmick matches. But for the middle of the show, the guys really took advantage of the sixteen minutes they were given. Yeah, they really did. It was uh, <clears throat> it was a great match, and uh, yeah, he did. He does have similarities with Bam Bam Bigger. He's so agile. And when he did that moonsault off the top rope as well, I mean, Jesus Christ, I wouldn't want wouldn't to be underneath that when he when he lands. Christ the light. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, he also took Johnny Gargano um, to um, one final beat to beat him as well. So he was well protected in the match. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And... It was also like it was like it showed even though with the damage he still struggled to get the Gargano escape in and Bronson still managed to get out of it so and get to the rope so yeah he doesn't look lose anything and we mentioned all the wrestling night before he came in third with the match and like it still took away for any of the be eliminated he still had to do two on one with Grimes and the Grimes and Swear for a while so yeah he did have a lot going into this now, yeah. I think he comes. I think he comes. Sorry, Spide. I, I think he comes out looking stronger, if anything, because mm-hmm. as you said, he had a, a big match the night before, and he only just narrowly lost to Gargano twenty four hours later with a bit of help from Austin Theory. So, uh, yeah, I, I think he's come out of this looking pretty good. To be fair, mm-hmm. uh, I feel the same. Now, I was I was really unsure of what was going to be event because, like, you have an unsanctioned match, and the last time there was an unsanctioned match. On uh, the show, on a takeover, uh, main evented, and also it was on a main weekend between two former partners. So I wonder if that main evented because I know obviously that some people say the title always goes on uh, last, but there are some circumstances where there's a bigger match than what the title is, and I didn't think Cross Balor would have been the best match to close me, so it's probably good that it came in the semi main spot. They did try to build up as a double main event for night two. Balor comes out with a big red cross on his chest, you know, because he's always talks about the target he's got on himself. And I just like going at this, you know, they did make references to Balor using his demons in the past, and because Balor said that he, he enjoys the Prince character, he doesn't really want to go back to doing the demon right now, because he feels that'd be a, a step back. And, you know, Balor, it was a really slow start. I think I, I broke up my watch. I watched the last, last three matches in one sitting, and then Watch the other two matches a different thing, so that may have affected my enjoyment of, of this match. It's just that Balor was on offense a lot in the early going, going after the shoulder, which made sense, but like 
probably felt like Balor should have won like battling against the odds against a much bigger cross and it took a while for me to really start getting invested in this match. Yeah, it was strange it was strange booking and I'm not too sure uh Karen Cross is made for these sort of longer matches personally. I think he um I don't know, I think there's a case to be made that perhaps after he won the bat of Keith Lee and had to vacate it after his injury, that perhaps when he come back, he should have gone straight to main roster because he looks more of a main roster type of wrestler. He's definitely someone you can see Vince getting behind because of his uh, size and physique. Mm. But, um, yeah, uh, you know, the, the booking, at one, in one hand, they're booking him as this unstoppable killer and then on the other hand yeah he's he's getting almost dominated by a much smaller man in the match all right yeah he's picked a weakness and gone after it but it still undermines the fact you're trying to trying to book him as this unstoppable monster for me so it's it's a strange one you know i suppose you don't want him beating someone like Balor too quickly but mm-hmm. um you don't want him having to take too long to beat him either yeah, I think it would have helped more if he did beat him quite quickly. You know, we saw what he did to Champa when they fought in your house. Mm. So it would have maybe served him better. And I don't think Balor now losing the title, that, I don't think that means that Balor's going to go back to the main roster. I think Balor has a lot to offer. And NXT still, like, again, that we talked earlier, the possibility of him versus uh, Walter. Uh, I did like the finish in terms of, like, how basically yeah, that they mentioned ju- the jiu-jitsu in that background of... Uh, Crossing the way he just laid into the shots in the back of Balor, where Balor couldn't defend himself because it was to the back of the head, and then, yeah, a second doomsday Sayote to put Balor away and uh, win the title. And I do believe that, like, if Cross hadn't got injured, it, they probably would have built him up as a monster to have him then lose at this takeover against wherever they built up. But it's fortunate that they had Balor as a guy who could easily step into that role and have such great matches in the meantime against O'Reilly and, and Pete Dunne in his absence. But Rattler's like, like was kind of a I don't want to say placeholder, but he did fill the role like with a well having been champion before. And uh, it's weird now that Cross becomes uh, a two time champion. He's the fourth ever two time NXT champion, beating Balor here and Balor would only become a two time champion probably because Cross got injured in the first place. And I do think also given the fact that this is a belt he never lost. It does make it will make a big statement for whoever actually beats him when he loses it because he is he is still yet to be beaten in a singles match. Yeah, that is true, and it'll be interesting to see who his um, his first opponent ends up being. At the moment, I've got no idea whether it'll whether it'll be the winner of the the next match. Perhaps will get a shot at him. Do you think? Uh, I don't think so. I think O'Reilly's there. Uh, gotten quite a few shots already and Cole versus Cross wouldn't make much sense I think I don't know if he'll be the next answer but I think inevitably him versus Champa will be another match maybe Champa redeems himself for the last thing he got destroyed and wins the title back wins back Goldie uh, I remember mentioning that as a possibility ages ago when talking to Jimmy Nathan about it but you know they've got quite a large roster at the minute you know uh, but there's also a view they could probably put in that position, as I've said that the roster is quite stacked at the minute. Uh, we do have the main event, and this was uh, a long main event. 
40 yeah. minutes, in fact. I think it was, for me, it was too long. I'm not, I'm not always into these um, very long matches, personally. There's been one or two that has managed to keep my attention going, but uh, this wasn't one of them, to be honest. Yeah, I think, uh, I, I think I could tell going into it, especially like there were like 50, 45 minutes left of uh, the runtime when Cross, uh, Ballard and the, these introductions for this match was happening. So I could tell we were in a long one. I wasn't bored at any point, but I did feel like they were from the earth there at the end. There were some interesting spots with the, uh, the chain being used the way it was, and then they went to the stage. So they really took advantage of the situation. They did say that it's not just because of how they've been trying to attack each other, but also because of when Cole's right to take O'Reilly out with that brain buster on the steps, and they said that O'Reilly wasn't technically fully cleared, and so obviously they're being like being given away of any responsibility to NXT for their anything that happens to O'Reilly in the match. I did laugh at my friend saying that when O'Reilly showed back up with the uh, the, the denim look, I said, I don't think he's got away and joined Cobra Kai in the couple <laughs> of days in a way. If anyone's watched the, the Cobra Kai like TV show, that's what it looks like to be. I was looking forward to it, but like I remember watching this like forty odd minutes. Like this has definitely had Triple H and Sean's fingerprints all over. Because I remember when Sean and Triple H blew off their Hell in a, their uh, rivalry in a Hell in a Cell, and it's still to this day I think the longest Hell in a Cell match in history, like 46, 47 minutes. So like I definitely think those two had a hand in putting this match together with uh, with Cole and O'Reilly. And it is a fun fact that these uh, two have fought at a final battle for Ring of Honor at Wrestle Kingdom for New Japan. And now they fought on an NXT takeover, so you're just hoping that maybe one day down the line to fight at WrestleMania as well. Who knows? It it might happen. And talking about the chain, I love that um, clothesline spot of the chain as well. That that looked brutal. That did when <laughs> he sort of pulled the chain across the ring and clotheslined Tyler Riley with it. That was mad. And there was that bit where um, they sort of went through the stage. And uh, instead of trying to pull him out of the stage, Adam Cole just started super kicking the side of it and bust a big hole in it and dragged O'Reilly out. I thought that was uh, a good spot. Did you call who was winning this match? Uh, I had a feeling they'd go with uh, Adam Cole, but I think they made the right decision, to be honest, putting O'Reilly over. I think I I, I said uh, O'Reilly would win because uh, I think he kind of had to given the the, the the feud and the idea of this being his kind of full breakout moment you now because he was still part of him there when he got those shots against uh, uh, Finn Balor and you know there's always a chance that they could have another match either in next year like I said down the line on the main roster maybe as part of a WrestleMania because and they always use the idea of, like Cole saying like that didn't count because it was unsanctioned so you didn't really beat me Uh because like, I remember in, in AEW, they used the light out, lights out matches, which are basically the same thing, and how it doesn't add to people's records because it's not officially sanctioned. So, you know, there's always a possibility to pick up on it. I did like the touch of uh, when O'Reilly did the thing with across the chair, the knee with the chain wrapped around his, his leg as the finish. Or, uh, Cole was kind of shaking, similar to how he was kind of, people thought he was having a seizure when he got brain busted on the sets weeks ago. So, you know, that kind of callback. And, yeah, they said that, and Cole also at one point being so like consumed with rage and one day just kill O'Reilly that he punches the referee and then hits the Panama Sunrise and then realizes oh shit and he's the referee <laughs> and he yells at the referee like he had one job get up are you stupid 
Yeah, he, he puts her up for his light side, then hits one of his finishes, and you know he's he's not there for the count, so uh, he sort of cut his nose off to spite his face there. And he also did uh, another suplex on the stairs as well, which looked pretty brutal. I mean, these men did kick the absolute crap out of each other, but I wouldn't have hated it if it was a ten or fifteen minutes shorter. To be perfectly honest. Yeah, I think if you give it 30, if it was 30 or even 25 minutes, it would have been just as good. But it made sense to be in the main event. I think O'Reilly is the smart choice because I don't know what's going to happen with Roderick Strong or Bobby Fish, but I don't call either way whether he won or lost is still a made guy. I think when he goes to the main roster, Triple H has his way and O'Reilly needed this more a feeling to make himself as a, a future star. As a future single star, maybe he'll be the one to take the North American title. Enjoy again because I think he's he's had quite a few shots with the the, uh, the main title. So you know maybe he can beat Gargano. Maybe they can bond over their shared uh, their shared win of unsanctioned matches at NXT Takeover. <laughs> yeah, that that would be um, that would be a good match actually. O'Reilly versus Gargano would be well into that match, hundred percent. And uh, yeah, I agree with you. O'Reilly was the right man to win the match, but I know Cole's one of Triple H's favourites, and Triple H often won matches that perhaps uh, his baby his baby face opponent should have won. So <laughs> <laughs> that's why I kind of lent in Cole's direction, but they did make the right decision, thankfully. Mm. Uh, and uh, Adam Cole's already had his own reign of terror. I mean. Although actually I enjoyed his long XT title run, but you get what I mean. But and he had his own, and he had a four-man faction at the same time. So you know, Triple H slowly but surely turning Adam Cole into a mid-2000s Triple H. <laughs> if we can keep Adam Cole out of a uh, random coffins that have cave masks on them, that would be uh, <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. And he won't keep away from anyone called Katie. Um, big question, though. Important question. What did you think of their new music? Personally, I'm not a fan. I think since um, CFOs left, I think the music's gone really downhill, personally. Sounds very generic. Yeah, like, Pete Dunn got new music as well in night one. Uh, a lot of the music does is starting to sound very similar. Uh, like, I don't even I don't like the fact that Ember Moon's had to change her music as well. I like her old music. Uh, but, like, I think O'Reilly's the days wanting something with a guitar so he could still do like air guitar, but this was quite crap. Cole's is slightly better because it's got, you can hear someone going baby during it. So, you know, maybe over time we'll get used to the nice scenes, but I like, kind of like Cole's. O'Reilly's is just a bit meh. But I think it was going to be hard for either of them because I think we're both so used to seeing these two guys come out to that Undisputed Era song, which is an absolute anthem. Yeah, exactly. It's just, uh, I've seen a few people on Twitter, or at least none of them are lumbered with the Undisputed Era tune, but I don't think it's it's such a great theme, and it really worked for Adam Cole. I think I think you could have got away with um, keeping it as Adam Cole's uh, music, because you can do the whole boom spot and everything. So um, I don't think you would have been... I don't think you'd have gone too far wrong doing that. I mean, Roman Reigns kept the Shield music and he's still using it now. So <laughs> I, I don't think it would have hurt him. And yeah, you're right about Ember Moons. I love, I love that. But 
they were trying to trying to get everyone who had CFO music to change at one point. A few wrestlers decided to get decided against it, and they let them keep their original musics for now. But um, whether anyone else might have to change, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think yeah, I think it was Matthew from Brooklyn posted. I think there's a boom in Cole's music, but. If you actually watch, listen, he, uh, he's going for his old boom thing, but the things went off before he's even done that. So I don't think he's quite... He's like, it seems like when they came at James Bay Downs that they timed their entrance to, with the cues of the, the song, whereas they're not quite used to it with uh, with this uh, with this new music that they've got. But I don't know. If, we don't usually do reviews for actual uh, pay-per-views, like, like current-day pay-per-views. I know we do them on the retro podcast all the time, but if you had to kind of, like, sum up your thoughts of TakeOver as a whole like across both nights. Uh, what would your like, closing thoughts be on this as a TakeOver? Yeah, I've, I think they're really good. Um, they, they're up... Definitely night one, I think, is, is up there with some of the, some of the best. Um, night two just felt a little bit short. I've, I was going to write them out of ten. I'd probably give night one a probably eight and a half out of ten and night two or seven if mm. I was gonna if I was gonna rate them like that. Um but yeah, both really good shows and more than wets the appetite for WrestleMania, which as we record this night one is uh, just hours away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And with uh, I think with night one I think it'd be nine out of ten I, I, I could see what they were going for. I wasn't quite sure about the Champa finish. Like, it was just a chop finishing it off. And if she had done, I thought it could have gone a bit longer. So that's keeping it from a perfect 10. Because I'm picky like that. But maybe 8, 7.5 for a night two. I think, like we said, the main event went quite long. And I wasn't fully into Cross v. Balor on like Tegel. You know, I get why they did it. But I think also given the last two, like the last things you see. And I think even if everything else is great, the last thing you see really impacts your opinion on something like if a film's great for the first two thirds and then the last ten minutes are garbage, you're gonna walk out the cinema thinking of that last ten minutes. Yeah, you do that that is the trouble. It's always like the last the last scene or last part you see that, that, that does tend to stay with you on uh, matches. And uh, another question before we close, because I saw uh, an online exclusive after the main event of night one with Eo looking like she was saying her goodbyes. So do you think she might be getting the main roster run for um, post-WrestleMania? You can see it because, uh, like, like I said with Balor, I think with NXT being a third band now, it's moving to Tuesdays. I'm, I'm hoping for when it goes to Tuesdays, we see it more like NXT than we used to because uh, it felt like a lot of decisions being on NXT, like they were giving a lot more title matches away on TV to compete with AEW, but I think NXT will start to feel more like it used to when it goes to Tuesdays and NXT is kind of moved away from like it's more of a third brand as, as, even though it's still kind of developmental it's leaning more towards the third brand thing so it doesn't need to be now every time someone loses the title that they move up which is why I think Balor's sticking around but I could see EO going up uh, you know to help fill a spot in the roster you know because you've got Lucy Evans we don't know when Charlotte's coming back Maybe if Asuka loses the title to Rhea Ripley, which she might have already done by now, by the time you listen to this, maybe uh, Asuka wants to go back after the tie title to EO as her, as her partner. Maybe EO goes after either Rhea Ripley or maybe, like, I don't know who it is at the time, whoever the SmackDown champion is. I'm 
open it to Bianca Belair by now. Yeah, same here. Uh, yeah, this is Bianca Belair would be a fun match or against Rhea Ripley, and I think anybody would be um, salvated at the prospect of Rhea versus uh, Asuka at some point down the line, especially as they used to be in Triple Tails together back in uh, Stardom. So that would be a an interesting match heaped in history, even if WWE didn't even didn't want to go into it. Mm-hmm. So. That's been NXT TakeOver, uh, Stand and Deliver, a hell of a show. Uh, obviously, I think, I think it's been fair to say that more than not, the, uh, the TakeOver that happened many a week, uh, or many a weekend, are always the best. You know, New Orleans and New York in 2018, 2019, respectively, are just solid. You know, TakeOver Dallas was great. I mean, I wasn't the biggest fan of TakeOver Orlando in 2017, with the exception of that triple threat tag match, but... It does seem to be a run theme, especially like takeovers are always great, but mania takeovers are on like a different level, I think. Yeah, they definitely do seem to step their game up for the pre pre WrestleMania takeovers. And yeah, I think New Orleans is one of my favorite ones still. It was stacked with great matches, that that one. It had uh, Cole versus Alistair Black, uh, Gargano versus Andrade, which was. uh, an amazing match, got five stars. I think you're thinking of Philadelphia. Oh, is that yeah. Philadelphia, is it? Sorry. Yeah, yeah. New Orleans was a, the ladder match for the first North American. Oh, that's yeah. it. That's it. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. My bad. I think I didn't correct you, someone on Twitter would have. <laughs> oh, 100%. I do, and, do uh, apologize. It's been, I'm, you know, I'm getting older. These things get confusing when you're my age. If uh, you want to correct, uh, Carl and Anthony said on this podcast, please direct all the uh, corrections to at Harper Milo on Twitter <laughs> and they'll get straight back to us. But like, I remember you, we talked about uh, at the end of 2019, we did that best wrestler, best of wrestling of the decade. And like, I had New Orleans both as my show of the decade and uh, the main event being my match of the decade, or at least involving them in the storyline of the decade. So uh, it, it's definitely got a special place for me as well. But we are going to say goodbye to everybody for now. Uh, back soon with, you know, you'll hear me and Carl again talk about Mandalorian very soon. And uh, we're going to hear a WrestleMania review uh, in the coming days. But Carl, uh, other than uh, the great Mandalorian progress we do, uh, is there anything else you'd like to plug for the lovely people? Yeah, I know we mentioned it earlier, but do check out our fantasy booking of WrestleMania pod that we did with Nathan Greenaway. It's was a lot of fun joining the guys for that one, so make sure to check it out. There's also the Bantam Munich football pod I record with Liam and Reese. Um That should hopefully be going out maybe Tuesday or Wednesday this time with WrestleMania. The schedule might get a bit upset a bit, but uh, look out for it nonetheless. And there's also the Rogue Chronicles uh, pod I do with Liam where we talk about popular villains in uh, pop culture. And, um, yeah, you can find us at Rogue underscore Opinions on Twitter and Instagram. And you can find our website as well, Rogue Opinions 20 at WordPress.com. Very uh, good. Uh... You can find me at Film Club 1996. Uh, this last weekend, you might have seen some previews with me for WrestleMania uh, with ESSR. Uh, it's still available on our YouTube channel, should be. So 
uh, if you're listening to this after me, go back and look, look at them uh, and see how right or wrong we were about some of the matches going into WrestleMania. Uh, also, this Tuesday, uh, I will be on ESPN next feature show talking about the life and career of China. And uh, we've also got our draft show that we do. We've got a new season starting that goes all the way to SummerSlam. We're doing a big season selection show uh, on Thursday. It'll be on their YouTube and Facebook uh, version, a uh, video version. And you can also catch that audio version of that. It'll come out on Saturday. We're here on Rogue Opinions is because of Rogue Underscore Opinions on Twitter. Uh, Rogue Retro Smackdown uh, comes out on Sunday, so actually it should already be out. And so hopefully you've listened to it. If you haven't, or listen to it, you can listen to it after this. If you feel you've got some spare time and you want something else to listen to. And Scott Pogram, Pogram, Instagram, we've got a new Impact Elite episode that's up now. And we're going to talk probably mostly about WrestleMania next week or mainly the matches that we Paul both care about. But that's uh, all we've got to plug, everything we've got to talk about. Uh, Carol, it's been a pleasure to be up with you again. Team Godfather, once again, for this review. Yeah, brilliant. And don't forget the Team Godfather motto Podding ain't easy. Don't I know it? Goodbye, everyone. <laughs> Bye.